Well, good morning. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. Welcome to Evergreen. Good to see you all. Uh, this morning, uh, we are trying something new because it is my nature to experiment and keep pushing the envelope. And so we've been trying to figure out a good way to cut out the middleman because normally I have to prepare my sermon. And then the last thing I do is prepare slides. Then I get the slides over to the back and then they control the slides pretending to read my mind. And so it's uh, challenging. So what we're doing is we've set up a wireless connection from my device to the projectors that are up here. And uh, hopefully I can manage the projections that you see as well as my notes and uh, coordinate that with my speaking. And all of this has to keep up with my jokes. (laughs) And so it's a bit of a... um, Learning curve here, but uh, I beg your pardon here. We are continuing in the book of Romans. Uh, We are in chapter 7. He, Paul, the author of the book of Romans, took the first five chapters to really lay out strong, deep theology. And starting in chapter 6, what Paul is doing now is trying to make that theology practical. And so he has a lot of metaphors, and he uh, recognizes the insufficiency of human metaphors and the language to describe things that are pretty ethereal and intangible, hard to put your finger on, things like our relationship with God, which we're going to talk about today. And so I also give you that same disclaimer that he gave us last week, that there's an insufficiency to the metaphors that are used in the text as well as uh, in my preaching, but I definitely appreciate his attempt at trying to bring the theology down to earth. So what's going to happen today is we're going to go through the text a little bit and make sure we clear up Uh, some of the ideas that I think if we were to read by ourselves on our own, we would sort of breeze over. But if we do that, we're going to miss some things. And so my hope is to highlight and point out what I think is the authorial intent in the passage. And then there's some sweet payoff in the end, some really helpful principles that I think uh, are going to keep giving to us throughout our life. And so track with me through the Bible study portion. And then when we get to some of the conclusion and application, um, it's some powerful stuff. Okay? All right. Title is fruitful. Here we go. The first point is loving law. Second is loving God. I'm going to tell you right now, one of those things is better than the other. Loving law. We'll begin with verse 1, which says... Or do you not know that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? The word jurisdiction there is the Greek word kurios, and that's the word that just means Lord. And so when we say God is our Lord, or Jesus is called Lord, or a slave has a master that the slave calls Lord, it's just that word Curious. And so it's translated here as jurisdiction. Another way to render it might be, or do you not know that the law is Lord over a person as long as he lives? Or the law has lordship over a person as long as he lives? But Paul's point is very simple. And the point is this. 
Who obeys more laws, living or dead people? You're right. Dead people don't care about the law. They don't respect the law. You can throw any law you want at them. They're not going to keep them. Right? Unless you are creative and you're like, be still. Okay. Keep that one. So that's the whole point. So don't miss that. All right? Uh, Then we get to verse 2 and 3. And this is where things start getting a little bit complex. And for my own study purposes, I had to actually diagram it out on paper. My hand still hurts from holding the pen for three minutes. Okay. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning her husband. Okay, that's what it says. Uh, And it's simple enough. Let me say it for us to make sure this is crystal clear. Wife of husband number one is free to join with husband number two if husband number one dies. Got it? According to the law. It's husband number one or husband number two. It's not husband number one and husband number two. Right? If you have husband number one and husband number two, the woman is considered an adulterer. She's an adulteress. Right? The third option of having both is illegitimate. It's one or the other. And that's the point that Paul is trying to make. So you can't be free to engage with the other until there is death in the first. Another way to say that is in the death of husband number one, the relationship between husband number one and wife also died. There's no longer a relationship, so she is free to have another relationship with husband number two. Clear? Clear? Say crystal. Somebody say crystal. All right. Now, I want to point out some things to you that you may not have picked up initially uh, reading it in the English. It's sort of screaming out at you because this is Paul's point if you read it uh, in the original language. The word joined appears three times in the passage. Just six verses, it appears three times. And this word joined is the Greek word to know. And it doesn't mean just to know as in you're getting to know somebody, but this is the biblical sense of know. This is the knowing you do in order to have kids. So Adam and Eve knew, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and she bore a son, and she named him Cain. That word know is the same word here, know. And so uh, that's kind of a sexual language. And then we have the word adulterous two times. And then we have the word bear fruit two times. And in the context here, bear fruit means to have kids as a result of the joining or the knowing that Paul has been talking about. And then two other words, uh, one passions, and then last, the word aroused. All of this is highly sexual language. Why does Paul use such sexual language in this passage talking about the law and us and God. And here's the point. 
and you can't miss this, and this is what you would miss if you just skimmed over it. The point is this, that you and I, we have an attraction to the law. We have a desire to know the law. We love the law, and we love to love the law. We are drawn to the law like a moth to a flame. There's, a, there's something that's pulling us, compelling us to the law. And then the question of why are we drawn to the law, that's the question that Paul tries to answer in the rest of chapter 7 and in chapter 8 and in parts of chapter 9. So Paul's really going to go into this, and I'm going to go into some of, the, some of this next week. Uh, it's part 2 in chapter 7. But the main reason, if I can summarize it for you, is that in the law, the reason we love the law so much is that in the law there is a power to be had. There's a promise of knowledge and control. And the law whispers to us and says, if you will trust me, if you will have a relationship with me, if you will know me, if you will get intimate with me, then you don't have to trust anyone or God. You don't have to be vulnerable. And whatever darknesses you have inside of you, nobody has to know about it. It's just a power thing with me. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, if we know the law, if we love the law, we get to play God. We don't have to submit to a God. We don't have to have some other being in control. We can do life apart from God. I'm going to keep explaining this. Uh, one way this was helpful for me is what I learned this week, uh, something called game theory. Has anybody heard of game theory before? Let me see. Let me see your hands because I want to make sure you fit into my stereotype of you. <laughs> yep, I can see why you would know game theory. Now, game theory is the study, okay, ready? Study of mathematical models. I know already you're falling asleep. Study of mathematical models that explain human behavior, decision-making, and conflict. In other words, it's an interactive decision theory. And let me tell you this, it's developed in the 50s, but it's superb at predicting how one person relates to another person, how one person relates to two, how four relates to each other, how crowds relate to the crowd, and how crowds relate to authority. It's very complex, but it's superb at predicting human behavior. In fact, it's so good that it's uh, won two Nobel Prizes have come from different applications of the game theory. This is powerful stuff, no doubt. You can Wikipedia, Google it, and you'll just keep reading like I did because there's some really interesting diagrams uh, that come out of this. But let me uh, dumb it down for me. This is, this is what, I, what I saw as the basis, the basic tenet of game theory. It's really simple. Survival of the fittest. Strong eat the weak. And even in cases where there is altruism, it is masked selfishness. And it's a mathematical model that explains how human beings use the law to put everyone in our debt. 
Basically, game theory says, I love the law. I love being able to have control over you by being better than you, by being smarter than you, by being stronger than you, and faster than you. I love it because I get to play God over you. I don't have to trust you. I'm not dependent on you for my existence. No, you are dependent on me. I love the law because it gives me a sense of control and I get to live life apart from God. Another book that was helpful in me understanding this is a book called The Pressure's Off by Dr. Larry Crabb. He's a popular uh, psychologist and Christian author. And uh, if I can summarize the book for you, he basically says this. We as human beings love pressure. We love pressure. And the reason we love pressure is because we get to use pressure to put pressure on other people. In other words, the same thing that game theory is saying is it's, it's the strong eat the weak. We get to control people. I'm willing to pay a little price and be under the gun a little bit and perform high and be strong and be fast because if I don't... Uh, if I can just be fast enough or faster than you, then I get to use that to control you. Survival of the fittest is great as long as I'm the fittest. Isn't it? This is why we love the law. But then Paul in verses 4 to 6 says there's another way to live. We can love the law or... We can love God. Now, one side of all of the sexual language is power and control. What's the flip side? What's the other side of the sexual language? It's relationship. It's intimacy. Right? And here's a really uh, powerful principle. There is an inversely proportional. Do you know what inversely proportional means? As one increases, the other decreases. There's an inversely proportional relationship between law and relationships. So to give an example, uh, in my marriage, if my wife knows that I love her and that I love the kids and she trusts me, we have high relationship high intimacy, high trust, then she has no laws for me at all, no rules for me. Because I do what is loving. The fact that I love her, that I'm committed to her, that itself serves, it fulfills the law, and it fulfills it through my love for her and and the family. But if I don't have that, then all of a sudden she has rules, like, Peter, I need you home by 6. I can't have you come home by 7 and just show up and sit at the table wanting me to spoon feed you. You need to come at 7 so you can help a little bit with dinner. And then you help the kids set the table. And then you sit down and you need to lead the family in prayer. And then you're going to pray with us and you're going to eat. And if you have to have a meeting, you can go have a meeting between dinner and 8.30. 8.30, you got to come home though. Because you have to help put the kids down to bed. 
And you have to bathe them and you have to make sure they're brushed and cleaned and all their cracks and nooks and whatever they got. It's all ready for bed. And that's part of your job. That's what you agreed to when you promised. So you have to do that. That's rule number 17. Okay? And here's rule number 18. You can come back. You can go back out and have finish your meeting after that, but you have to come back before 10. Because you and I need to have some downtime together and we need to bring closure to the day. So that's rule number 19. Got it, Peter? Now I have to keep all these rules because she doesn't trust me. The relationship goes down. Then law goes up. Now, I still don't love her. I don't care. And so I'm going to break the trust and what little relationship there is even more. And then what does she do eventually over time? Not only does she institute more laws, but she actually calls a professional. She calls a lawyer. (laughs) And when there is total relational breakdown, there is no relationship at all. There's just law. There's laws. Okay, you get the kids. Legally, you get the kids every other weekend. And legally, this percentage of your paycheck goes toward child support. This happens. Law and relationship, inversely proportional. And this is what God is saying. I invite you not to just keep the law. I know the law is awfully convenient, and you have this passion for the law. And the law works in the members of your body to produce all sorts of benefits. It bears fruit. But there's another way to live. And it's to be in relationship with me. For you to love me because I first loved you. And God says, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to send you my son. He's going to cleanse you of whatever uh, ways you violated the intent of the law and the relationship. You didn't acknowledge me. You didn't fear me. You've hated on this planet and everyone in it. I'll forgive all of it. All of it. And then I will put my spirit in you, the law in your heart, so that we can have a relationship that's based on trust and relationships. You and I, we'll get to know each other. We will know each other and we'll bear fruit of a different kind. This is the invitation, the other way to live. Verse 4 and verse 5 have these two phrases, bear fruit for God or bear fruit for for death. And I don't know here where you're at, and I don't know if you're all hot on the idea of having a relationship with God. That may just sound like evangelical nonsense. And to some of you, it does. It's like, it's too intangible. How do you relate to somebody you can't see? But I want you to consider the alternative. It's either or. Remember, it's husband number one or husband number two. You can't do both. You can't. It's just one or the other. And so Paul in verse 4 and verse 5, he juxtaposes these two ideas. He says, either you're going to be joined with God in relationship. That's option number one. Or, 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 you got to hear the either or here. This is a real dichotomy, not a false one. Or you're going to bear fruit for death. It's either God or law. Both of them will bear fruit. One is life, one is death. You got to pick one or the other. You don't have a third option. 
That third option is illegitimate, doesn't exist. You will default to one or the other. So what I'm saying is this. Maybe the whole relationship with God thing is pie in the sky for you. But I'm telling you, it's worth pursuing that a little bit, even in your head, even if you're not a Christian, experiment with it. Just try it out because the alternative is terrible. Let me give you an example. I got into, uh, you know, uh, a car accident back in the year 2000. Okay? I bought a 1997 Jetta. Loved it. Loved my Jetta. It was just a perfect little car for me. Right? And uh, Susie was driving to school, and she got uh, T-boned. And Susie went to the emergency room, but the car was sort of wrecked. And before I can show up on the scene, at the scene of the accident, some tow truck had come and towed it away. And when I got there, I just had a phone number for how to get my car. Right? And so I call this place, I go there, and it's a junkyard. And, uh, I had an instinct, like, don't let him fix your car. But he made it so easy, and this is what he does, you know. And this was my very first car accident. And he said, we'll work directly with the insurance company. So just Liberty Mutual, we'll deal with them. You don't have to worry about a thing. We'll call you when your car is ready to be picked up. And I just, all sorts of flags going off in me. But I let him fix the car. I go to fix the car, and I just see bubbles in the paint already. And then I, I, uh, the hood was all bent and stuff, so they had to replace the hood. I fire the uh, water, uh, uh, the windshield wiper fluid, and it shoots above the car. It misses the windshield altogether. And then I look closely at the nozzle, and it looks used. And, I then, and then I just, just get start getting all hot. I think, did you use new parts? This is what the insurance paid for him. And he's like, well, you know, we took care of it, and this isn't all. He just gave me the runaround, right? And then I began to realize what had happened. He totally took me to the cleaners. He pocketed all that money from the insurance company. He used all these junk parts to fix my car. And it's already done. Insurance had given the check to him. And I was just at a loss. It was my baby. I love this car. And I was just, just heartsick over this loss. And so on my way home, uh, picking up the car, after having picked up the car, I called up my mentor. My mentor for life is Grammy Gwen. She just turned 82 years old, and she's going to hear this sermon, and maybe she'll remember this. Um, she, uh, I'm, just, I'm crying on the phone. I'm just so upset at, at how this whole thing has gone down. And I say, Gwen, I just want to kill him. I can't believe he did this to me. Who does I'm just going on and on and on. And Grammy Gwen, as only Grammy Gwen can say, she says, oh, Peter. There's no need to fuss. She says, has that man taken anything from you that God is not going to give back to you? And I just thought, you Christian woman, that's just, it's not helpful. It's just not helpful. Because I, I, I live by the law. I've done the math. You understand? I've suffered real loss. I'm not talking about my feelings. I'm talking about my car. I'm talking about real dollars here, right? Three months later, it's a Friday, and I'm driving my Jetta, and it was my day off, and I went to go see this movie. And I still remember uh, what movie it was. I'm too embarrassed to tell you what it was. There's no way I should have been seeing that movie without a woman next to me. Um, So I'm coming home from this movie, 
And uh, all of a sudden, on I-95 South, right near Waltham, Massachusetts, uh, the truck in front of me comes to a screeching halt. I slam on my brakes and I stop. And there's another truck behind me, and I can see it in my rearview mirror. comes crashing into me, and my Jetta and I together get sandwiched between these two semis. Completely total. I get out alive and relatively unscathed, uh, but the car is totaled. It's just squished, right? And again, the car, just three months later, gets taken to a junkyard. And it's declared a total loss. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that happened. And this was a spiritual lesson for me. When the first accident happened, because of the way Volkswagens are, they had to change out the entire front dashboard cluster as one unit, including their odometer. Right? And so a car that was four years old was reset to zero three months prior. And what they do is they put a little sticker um, that you're not allowed to remove by law on the, on the door here. And it tells you the additional mileage you're supposed to add on to the new odometer that's in there. Well, the insurance company, when they declare total loss, even though it was the same insurance company, they totally missed this. And they, according to them, there was like 3,000 miles or 7,000 miles or something on the car. It's just been a few months, right? And so uh, they write me this huge check for thousands of dollars more than they should have. And now I'm really wrestling with this because I think God has clearly given this to me because of the loss that I suffered. (laughs) And so I start rationalizing this for a little bit. I think it's like a week or so. And Susie, I got to do the right thing. I'm a a pastor, right? Um, And so I call Liberty Mutual. I say, hey, this is what happened. You guys should know this. You guys covered it last time. Um, and so there's odometer reading. You got to add to it. And they said, do you know what the you know, additional mileage is? I said, no, that's your job. You're the one who assessed the car and declared a total loss. And she said, well, we don't know what to do from here. And she said, why don't you submit something in writing? So she gave me instructions for writing a letter. So I, trying to be a good Christian, because I'm under the law, I went to the junkyard where it was still, and I actually got the number of miles that was on the sticker and I wrote it in the form, and I sent it in. A week goes by, two weeks goes by, three. time just goes by. I keep calling these people, asking them, when are they going to correct? Because I'm not cashing my check. Right? And finally, uh, they write me a letter, and the letter says, this case is closed. Basically, stop bothering us. <laughs> We've moved on to bigger things. And so... What do I do with the check? I called and I asked. And they said, oh, no, that case is closed. That check is yours. And so, in fact, there's some kind of uh, date on it, so you've got to cash it. You've got to deposit it. But by that time, the money didn't matter to me as much anymore. But it was a spiritual lesson in another way to live. Now, think about that story for a second. For me, being the, my dad is a math professor, okay? And I'm Asian on top of that. Math is something to me, okay? If I don't trust God on the one hand, what's the alternative? I have to hate that guy who first ripped me off. I have to hate the people who T-boned my wife and sent her to the emergency room. And to this day, she has degenerative arthritis in her neck from that accident. It's just, I can't 
handle the permanent nature of loss and life. Every time you wrong me, I have to make a mark somewhere. Because I have to get you back. I do, and you totally deserve it. And there's all these times I've gotten you, and you've ticked it off. And I totally deserve it. Because in the human economy of law, when you're married to husband number one, there is no other way to live. We do have to take account for everything. Our hearts cannot handle loss. And then comes husband number two. He says, there's another way to live. And in my economy, there is such a thing as redemption. And there's no such thing as law. Because the law is fulfilled in the death of my son. He paid for everything. And the spirit that raised him from the dead, that turned the instrument of death into an instrument of life, can be in you and in your life and present and moving about in this world, working all things for the good, even though not all things are good. All things don't have to be good anymore. Bear fruit for life, or bear fruit for death. And I want you to notice something else. In verse 4 through 6, the whole, trin- the whole of the Trinity is named here. There is Christ, and there is God, and there is the Spirit. And this is God's way of saying, God is offering His whole self to us to be in relationship with. It took the whole of God. God the Father loved the world, that He sent His only Son so that the Son's death can cleanse us of all of our sins so that the Holy Spirit can be in us. By the way, hello Trinity. That's Trinity. Some of you maybe missed that because I didn't hear the laughter I expected from this (laughs) creative use of imagery. In conclusion... Do you know that there is a difference between fruitfulness and activity? Please listen, this is really powerful. All of the potential for a good life is in the seed. All of the fruitfulness that your life is meant to bear is in the seed. Activity without fruitfulness is like a tree with leaves only. Nothing comes after you. You can be busy. You can be raking it in financially. You can have the, you know, the greatest popularity amongst your friends and your network can be broad and your schedule, your calendar, you're an important, significant person. Poof, gone with one phone call and all of that means nothing. Your life doesn't remain at all. You're just a tree with leaves only. It doesn't matter how you assess your life, what you think about yourself. What you want more than activity is fruitfulness. Do you want meaning in your life? What's the purpose of your existence? The secret of that is in the seed. Let me explain what I mean by this. Read with me here, Jeremiah chapter 31. As I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to overthrow, to destroy, and to bring disaster. Now that's us living under the law. 
So I will watch over them to build and to plant. Oh, God's going to do something. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke. This is the law here. Although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Listen here. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. God is saying, you once were under the law. All you had was math. But now the days are coming when I will put a seed in you. I will put the law in your hearts and I will be your God and you will be my people. That is, we will be in relationship. I will give them another way to live. You no longer have to labor under the law for the law will be fulfilled in your hearts through the presence of the Holy Spirit which is made possible through the death of Jesus Christ whom God the Father sent. All of the power for your life is in the seed, is in the Holy Spirit in you. Because that's your key to relationship with God. Or the alternative is law. What will you choose? You want your life to be filled with just activities and busyness and frenzy. And then you're gone. Who cares? Or you will bear fruit that remains. Verse 34 going on. They will not teach again. Each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord. That is, you're not going to be talking about the law anymore. For they will all know me internally. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. It's not about keeping the law or violation of the law because all of that is forgiven and fulfilled in Christ. And look how Jesus himself encapsulates it in verse chapter 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go bear fruit. Fruit that remains so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. It's not you have to keep the law and you're putting God in debt and he owes you and you're putting other people in debt and they owe you. No, 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 no. Forget about all that. My spirit is in you. You are a new creation. So just ask whatever you want. You don't have to have earned it. I'll just give it to you. Because now you're my son. You're my daughter. My spirit is in you. Your mind is renewed. We're in a love relationship. Be free and relate to me. Give and take. Receive. Be in this thing with me, Jesus says. And you're going to bear fruit. Not just be busy. I'm telling you, I don't want to be busy. I don't know if you noticed this, but about two and a half months ago, I decided I'm not going to use the word busy anymore. People will say, Peter, how are you doing? You busy these days? And I say, no. My life is full and it's lovely. I love my life. Susie and I were just talking last night about how much we love our life. Because we don't care about busyness anymore. There's no more law to keep. There's no esteem to keep up. There is no, who's counting? Look up. There's nobody sitting there judging me anymore. 
give you three application points. Okay, the first is Sabbath. Verse 4 talks about us being joined with God as his servant. The idea there is rest in contrast to slavery under the law. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 says this. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church about himself. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that, that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Do you understand what he's saying? Paul's saying to the church, I don't care what you think. I don't even care what I think because I'm God's servant and he alone judges me. And so I'm playing, I'm resting. He's able to make his servant stand. And so one of the more powerful ways that we uh, exercise our, uh, uh, our place in God's kingdom rather than in the kingdom of the law is by practicing the Sabbath. Once a week, we cease from the activities that we engage in as a way to feel worthy. And we say, nope, I'm going to remember that I am loved, not because I'm lovable. I don't have to do lovable, likable things. I don't have to earn my keep. I'm just going to do things that are restful to me, that I like to call recreational, that recreate me in this original image. And I don't have to esteem myself self Esteem is a, a misnomer anyways. Who cares if I esteem myself? Who cares if you esteem me? It doesn't matter. God's my judge, right? And so I'm able to do fun things, do things that recreate me. So once a week, this is an application point, challenge you to find your Sabbath. Refuse to be productive. Just like waste away. And see what that's like. Do nothing of value. And see what that's like. Does God love you anyways? Are you valuable anyways? Of course you are. Sabbath. That's my Fridays. Every Friday is my Sabbath. And if you get an email from me on Friday, shame on me. Okay, application number two. People. This is verse six. It's the relational nature of the freedom we have in God now. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says this, For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. One of the ways that we practice this freedom from the law and being in relationship with God is by having the freedom to not be so goal-oriented or task-oriented. I'm going to say something that's anathema to me. You don't have to finish everything you've started. I'm going to say another thing that's really annoying to me. Interruptions are okay. So see people. Whatever you're doing, be willing to drop everything to love on people. People are awfully inconvenient and inconsiderate. They don't give you much warning. But that's our job. We have the freedom now to love on people. It doesn't matter what the math is. It doesn't matter how much it costs. It doesn't matter how much time. It doesn't matter how much. It, it doesn't matter. Because now that's our job. We're free to do that. God has freed us up from the law to love people. So that's second application. This week, say, say yes to people. That those annoying critters around you, that's people. 
Okay, third application point is the word yes. Verse 6 talks about a newness of the Spirit. There's always new things that God is doing all around us. What are these things? I'm telling you, most of the time we say no to them because we're too busy, we're too set in our ways, and we trust the math that we've already done. But there's an economy of God that's coming. It's called the kingdom of God. And so say yes to a few things this week that you normally say no to. Just like, go crazy, say yes. Because you trust God. And he's got your life in his good hands. God loves us. He sent his son to die for us. And now we have the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we do confess that we are slaves of the law. That day in and day out we are doing math. We are uncomfortable in this way of living and it's not what, we, what our hearts long for, but it's the only way we know how to live. But thanks be to God in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit you have come to set us free from the power of the law. Thank you, Jesus, for fulfilling the law. And we are free from the law. And you have given us your spirit. God, show us this week what this means, that we are a free people. And we are free to rest, to see people, and to say yes, for in him all things are yes and amen. We give ourselves and our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray.